Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Knightsky. This is crazy to me to look up and see that this is the 275th episode of the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm so fortunate to have you listen each week that I get to work at CESA 6 and that they as an organization support me and that each week I get to prep, record, and produce this in my closet. Correction. I'm sorry. This is Megan's closet. I just get to put a few things in here. Anyway, here we are. And I want to do some smart thinking this week on how we can better advocate for ourselves, how we can tool others to advocate for themselves, and how we can race to authenticity. I believe that one of the single greatest challenges that we each face is the ability to let others understand us while trying to stay humble. I have, with great frequency, seen really good people be misunderstood or worse, judged because they have a little... Well, a little thing called a title, or they lack a title, or they're low in the pecking order. This episode, I want to get you thinking of how we can move from trying to build relationships to truly positioning ourselves to have voice in our lives, as well as the ability to advocate for others through process. Smart thinking is all about taking a routine or a traditional problem, taking the problem back to the source, and then working together to address the problem with a solution. That solution is always a process which supports the changes in behavior that we each need to do in order for the world around us to improve. I get very excited about this because I love to coach and get people where they need to be. I also love it when I see us position others to realize what their potential is. Remember, that is what we're all about. We are leaders who understand that every moment of the day we have influence and we are obligated to show up as the best version of ourselves and to advocate for others, position others to advocate for themselves, and work towards a highly collaborative environment so that no one feels alone on their journey. How do we do that? Well, the first thing we do is to notice others and the positions they are in. The second thing we need to do is to teach others how to lead through processes that allow them to be confident in who they are and that, that comes from living in predictable environments. We are each obligated to model for others how to handle a unique or repeated situation. However, many of us do not know how to do that, and that is why we need a process. We are Buffalo leaders. We charge into the storms that we are facing, and the more we do that, the more the people around us see results. The results being that we are optimistic, we are proactive, and we are enjoying more sunshine than everyone else because we are standing on the other side of the storm quicker while the others are weathering it or worse, trying to escape it. The metaphoric storms will always catch you. So let's get started here. This past week, I was speaking, and when I finished, I was approached by a woman who works in a school and has children in the same school. Now, if you've seen me speak, you've heard things that you will never hear on this podcast, a lot of disclosures about the difficulties that I experienced as a young child. And this brings lots of people to the front of the room at the end to share with me what they've gone through. Many people come up to me afterwards and share stories, and those fuel me and my empathy. But this particular story felt different. Because the child she was talking about was at the end of his educational journey in high school. He was going to be a junior this year. He was completely apathetic, 
difficult to manage in the class, difficult to motivate, didn't want to be at school, and his mother was, well, at a minimum, concerned. She then went on to share with me that she struggled as his mother because she works here and she's not certain how far she can go in helping him. It immediately got me thinking about a process that I developed when I was in the same position as an adult. So many of us lose our voice when we get into a new situation, and I've learned that a simple tool can position you to be genuine and authentic quickly if you just charge into the issue. I will have a template for you this week on our website, and I'll email it to you if you're on our distribution list. That may may help you. Because my awesome friend Jill is going to put it together, but before I explain the tool, I want to give you a brief history of how that tool was developed. You see, all of us can get ourselves into situations where we can't share everything. We get stories in our head, or we create a reason not to share with people things that we don't like, a tradition, or we just simply freeze in the face of tiny conflict. How do I know? I was the master of freezing in the tiniest situation until I found my voice. I mean, that was until I put my voice onto a sheet of paper. I was pretty lucky to advance fast in my organizational career as an educator. I went to a formal leadership position when I was pretty young, and as a result, I had an assistant when I got my first job as an assistant principal. In the old days, they called her a secretary. And she helped me get where I needed to be, get my work done, and support the needs of others. I mean, when I was 30, my assistant and I, were, we were actually close in age, and we weren't very afraid to talk about anything. We had kids the same age, we had similar life experiences, we liked similar music and food, she was super kind and caring, and took really good care of me, and I looked out for her. Then, I left that job and got a new job in a new school district, in a new building, and became a new principal. I had a platoon of people in the office, and I had a main assistant. Weirdly, before I met her, Everyone told me to be ready because she was fierce, she was strong-willed, and she did things her way. (laughs) Now, walking into that situation? Well, that's pretty unnerving for a guy like me with a high emotional intelligence. And as a result, I was, well, I was kind of scared about what was going to happen and what type of a relationship we would have. I was greeted by her on my first day, and she was like 5'1", 100 pounds, a little younger than my own mom, and she started out by telling me that I was her bajillionth principal and she'd train me up not to worry about a thing. Yikes. I went to my office and began reviewing the work for the year and all the different paperwork that I had to fill out, and she walked in with a cup of coffee. I said, um, thank you so much. That's very thoughtful of you. And she walked out the door. Now, I was born caffeinated. I don't drink coffee. However, in that very moment, I had developed such a strong narrative about her that I was afraid of her and I was afraid to tell her that I didn't drink coffee because I didn't want to hurt her feelings. There was no way out of my office without her seeing me because she literally had her desk positioned so that no one got in or out of my office without her permission. So each day for the next three weeks, I couldn't do anything with that cup of coffee. I just kept it in my office. So she just continued to bring me a cup of coffee right after I sat down at my desk every single morning. And each day for the three or four weeks, I lacked the courage to tell her that it wasn't necessary to bring me the beverage of choice of so many of the morning people who were grumpy until they had a cup. What was I doing with that coffee? Well, each time I've gotten a new job, my beautiful mother sends me a plant for my office. So each cup of coffee, after it cooled, would be poured into the dirt surrounding my new plant. 
I was so afraid of my assistant that I was willing to kill a plant in order to avoid the simple confrontation. Heck, it's not even a confrontation. It's just being honest. And if you're listening to me and you're like, come on, man, really? Oh, I bet you're a big toughie all the time. Anyway, deep into the month of September, on a relatively warm Wisconsin day, she came in with a cup of coffee and put it on my desk. I looked up from my laptop and had done the same thing I had did every time she brought me the cup of coffee, and I smiled and I said, thank you. Except for this time, she didn't move. She put her hands on her hip, and I looked up and said, hey, what's up? She looked square into my eyes and said, how long are we going to do this? I was like, do what? I felt completely busted. She said, I bring you a cup of coffee, you pretend to drink it, and then I bring you more the next day. I must have looked like a four-year-old with a mouthful of chocolate chips standing on the kitchen counter. All I said was, how did you know? She started to laugh and said that, well, after about three days, I realized that your office smelled like coffee and dirt. So every morning I would come in and I smelled your plant only to learn that you probably were putting the coffee in the plant. And then I would come in each day and flush out your plant to make sure that it wouldn't die because I know it's from your mother and I have children. Well, that led to the long overdue conversation that was way too late. We sat down and sort of normed our behaviors and expectations. And however, for the next five years, I maintained a healthy worry of disappointing her again. And while I loved her and had a great experience with her and she always had my back, we still shared the fact that she knew I was never quite myself in her presence. So as I advanced in my career, I wondered, how do I avoid this? The answer, a process. A process that I believe we should each be using for ourselves, with our students, with our colleagues, and anytime we are in transition. I know it works because for years, as I have been with my parents, of my students, or parents of worried kids, colleagues worried about transitions, and even in my own family, I have always, in an effort to accelerate relationships and authenticity, found myself sitting down with others, grabbing a piece of paper, and then showing them this process. I'm sharing this process with you so that you can support yourself and everyone you serve, so that you can accelerate the people around you who need to in order to get along from the start to avoid resentment building over time and to support the success of all of those around you that you can use this in order to get there quicker. The process is stupid simple and needs three things, paper, a pen, and vulnerability. Yeah, vulnerability. Because even in this process, you'll wonder, how far can I take this? And how honest should I be? The answer, very honest. It'll make everything for everyone around you better. And you'll be stronger when you need to run into the storms. Let's start with adults and work our way to a process for kids. If we can't advocate for ourselves, it's going to be very hard to be empathetic and advocate for others. So the process, very simple. Put down 10 bullet points and write out the 10 things you need others to know about working with you. You simply label it 10 things you need to know about working with me. Yes, a simple disclosure of the things you need to know about me in order for me to be myself and for us to get along really well. A me and we process. Simple. Me and then you and then we. So I do it, you do it, we talk about it. I dug up my OG, as the kids say, my original, and here are some of the bullet points that I wrote on it almost 20 years ago. Bullet point number one when I gave this to an assistant. I'm not a detail person. 
I like to check in with you every day. My calendar is in your control. I hate email and I hate emailing on my behalf. Call me. I need an editor. When I'm under the most pressure, I get really quiet and I look through people as if they're not even there. I try to be self-sufficient all the time. And when I ask for something, it's only because I really need it. My family is first for me and for you and everyone around me. Monday morning when I enter the office, please just know that I need the first 30 minutes to get things done. It's not because I'm grumpy. It's because I've come to work with a ton on my mind and I need to organize. I want to be positive instead of negative. I want to be proactive instead of reactive. I want to be optimistic and not pessimistic. I'm not big into gossiping, so I don't want to sit around and talk about other people. I need you to stand over me to get things you need done. I mean, literally stand over me. I have high emotional intelligence and I have tremendous energy and capacity and I need reminders that others do not always have the same. (laughs) I don't know how much I've changed in the last 20 years, but here's the other piece. I put in here advice from Megan and Megan is my wife. These are her three things. He does not listen very well. He thinks he can organize everything in his head and he won't want to hurt your feelings, period. That simple little reflection of myself allowed me to have the confidence I needed to share with the most important support person in my life. I needed to share the truth. That paper gave me confidence and it led to a great give and take where she did the same process and we immediately knew what to and what not to do with each other. And we visited these pieces of paper every quarter for a reflection, added to them and took things away and it allowed us to evaluate how well we worked together. I didn't have to write her up or her write me up. We didn't have to yell at each other. We very rarely were frustrated. If we did get frustrated, we would just add it to our sheet as something else you need to know about working with me. Now, today in 2023, I have another list. And listen to this one. It's the 10 things you need to know for working with me. And not much on here has really changed except for a few things that I've learned about myself over time that I didn't know was bothering other people. Because I end up in a lot of environments with a lot of people who don't know me very well and I don't want them judging me. I just want to disclose things. So number one, I do not care for email and please don't ask me, did you get my email? Number two, I drink a lot of water and I need frequent breaks. Number three, I am protective of my family and time commitments beyond work. Four, I have a lot of energy and need to be engaged. Five, I get very hyper when I'm nervous. None of you have ever seen me nervous. Number six, I get quiet when I'm frustrated or upset. Number seven, I get very defensive when people put children down and I loathe when they gossip about them. Number eight, I swear a lot. Number nine, I have a complicated relationship with details. And number 10, I like the people around me to be happy and I am loyal. I changed the end of the process around once I formalized it to doing this. I asked people to then text someone who loves them and ask them to give them two pieces of advice if they had to work with me. So when I texted Megan, when I rolled out the process, she wrote these two things. You need to know that picking on people is his love language, and he really wants the people around him to have fun. And number two, his mind never rests and neither does his body. This seems so simple, and it is. So what I recommend is that you, for yourself, do this to help others help you, and then ask others to do the same so that you can support them. It's very simple, folks. And yet we will walk around these types of conversations. We will wait months, worse years to have real conversations. And we will wonder, judge, be unable to be empathetic, be unable to be empathetic and worse, will fail to be authentic. Now, let's get the kid part. Because you know what is really hard? Being a kid. 
You can run this process out as a colleague with your own family or whatever. But for a kid to do this in the middle school or in their high school, it's going to be tough. Because unfortunately, true authenticity is really tough for kids. I mean, if I am at 32 worried about telling my assistant the truth about drinking a cup of coffee, what is it like for a 15-year-old who's walking the minefield of social norms, self-imposed paranoia, minute-by-minute judgment of the being imposed upon them by the world around them, and they are then trapped in the world of false happiness because of social media. (laughs) I can't even imagine it. But what if you had a process? So here's what I suggest if you are working with kids between 5th and 12th grade. Go 10 plus 2, like I just did. Meaning, you do the same process as the adults. 10 things you need to know about me, and 2 from someone they love. However, as the adult or facilitator, you have to be vulnerable yourself and share your tip sheet. You have to explain how reflecting on yourself helped make you better for others. How being vulnerable makes you authentic. How being authentic frees you from weird narratives in your head that impact your ability to stay mentally fit. And how, at the end of the day, once you learn to advocate for self, you'll be able to advocate for others. Also, I would like you to create banks of examples for students to help them think through all of this. Things like, which day is the best to have work beyond school? What commitments do you have outside of the school day? Like caring for family, working, sports, clubs, gaming. I would create a list of prompts for them. Some examples, like I would describe my house as loud, normal, empty. I have good relationships with adults. My favorite teacher of all time used to tell me blank. The closest person to me in my world outside of friends is, and I'm motivated when. Pro tip. Pro tip. Do one for yourself in the context of who you were and what you would have needed when you were that age. Powerful and vulnerable, especially if you were a turkey like me. Because I did this for who I would have needed when I was a sophomore in high school, and I was pretty surprised by the things I wrote down. I always appreciated it when teachers that I had or I worked with asked kids to share their interests. That's great for relationship building and developing relevant instructional strategies, but now supercharge that with the student advocating for themselves with the things that you need to know about me. The last two questions remain the same. Have them text someone that loves them and have them ask, what would you tell others about me? However, here's what I want you to do with these. First, have them write them all down, collect them all, but then... I want you to collect the advice that the student's families put, the two things at the end, their friends or loved ones, what they wrote, and then post them all over the wall outside of your classroom on post-it pads or print it out. Why? The fastest way to support the mental fitness of everyone in the room is for them to see all the things they have in common, things that their parents say like, well, they're messy but kind. She gets anxious if she doesn't know what's going on. He's very competitive and worries about his self-image a lot. This gigantic empathy wall will help the entire building out. Okay, last one, last tool, and it's what actually sparked this. The first tool is how to advocate for yourself. The second tool is to help others advocate for themselves. And lastly, here's a tool to help you advocate for somebody who may not have a voice yet, lack the courage, or just really need the support from someone else's leadership. And like I said, it's what sparked today's podcast. Many times, as parents, we struggle with how to advocate for our own children. We see them in the same cyclical situations, and we feel hopeless. Well, no more! You're going to do this process for or with your child. Why? Because myself, as an educator, it takes me time to figure out your kid. Even as a coach, 
I mean, we have a bunch of other kids in the room or on the team, and they're all unique with different needs. I may never figure out what motivates your child, especially if they are a reserved or introverted, introverted student or if they're an overly extroverted student who I can just never get another word in edgewise. I will snap to judgments, as will all teachers and everyone. And even though I pride myself on relationships, I may be missing significant pieces about your child that, if I knew from the start, I could support their success much more rapidly than if I didn't figure your kid out until Thanksgiving. The process, however, is a little different. Instead of what works, we're going to split the process up. Three columns. It's 15 and 2 plus 5. First column is five endearing qualities of my child. The second column is five things that work for them, like positive reinforcement. And then the third column is five things that do not work. 15 total characteristics and motivations. 15 empathies. <laughs> is empathies even a word? It is now. The two things at the bottom are now what other teachers have learned about my child and what helps them. And now on the back of the document is a sort of a Venn diagram, five circles. There, your student's name or child's name is in the center. And what we do is we put in there the five things your child is most interested in. Will this work? Heck yeah. And you can use this for professionals as they transition in organizations as well. At the start of the year or every time your child has a new teacher, you hand them the updated document. How do I know it works? Well, it works because three years ago, I was sitting across the table at a coffee shop with a friend and his wife as they were explaining to me, through tears, how no one understood their child. I drew this all out on a placemat, and they formalized it, showed up at school with it, and the child thrived. Boom. Why? Because we have to, once in a while, help others understand those that we love and those that we serve. And we also have to do it for ourselves. We are all trying to figure everything out around us, and a real buffalo runs into the storms they are facing. And with this multi-use tool, you can find yourself in a position to advocate for yourself, support others' advocacy for themselves, and advocate for those you serve. It's a lot of advocates. <laughs> Imagine for a minute that everyone you meet walks up to you and shares their recipe. This is me. This is what works for me. And this is what others who've worked with me would say. Now, imagine that a child who normally struggles is in a position to have a three-pronged level of advocacy. Their family, their school, and now themselves. Wow. <laughs> That'll be quite the buffalo. So let's do some smart thinking. List the 10 things that others need to know about you. Describe where this would be most relevant for you and your leadership. Enlist the people in your leadership purview that would benefit from this type of a process. That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening. And please take a moment to share this and rate this on your podcast platform. Also, make sure to go to CESA6.org to find the Buffalo Leadership page and pull down any of the tools that I've described in this or other episodes. And also, and as always, thank you to the Well Pennies for allowing me to use their fantastic music to help propel us at the start and the end of every podcast. Okay, I'm very serious about this process. I can't tell you how much it has benefited me as a professional, how quickly this accelerates things for you. You see, once you disclose all of this, you are also positioned to elevate 
and evaluate the relationships you have with others, how others are advocating on behalf of others, and how they use the tool to avoid more conflict or further conflict or to never even have conflict because it's all up front. Here's how I use it. As CEO of CISA 6, I get to put in place processes often. <laughs> and we put these processes in place for all new employees. As a matter of fact, every new employee who comes in fills out this sheet. Our HR team on the first day of employment uses this tool for onboarding. People disclose all kinds of amazing things, and then the tool is shared with their supervisor, and then the entire team of people they work with are given the information, and hopefully by them. I don't have to imagine how well this works. I get to see it. And for those leaders that utilize the process in their organization, revisit it, and then lead towards the strengths and needs of those they serve, well, it drives up trust, builds relationships, and most importantly, supports engagement, leading to everyone's success. If you're wondering how to bust out of old cycles, the answer is always the same. Bring the problem to the problem. Stop pouring coffee into the plant to avoid being authentic and show up prepared to explain, this is who I am. This is what I need, and this is how I can be my best. And then ask the other person, what do you need to be your best? It's awesome. Do that, and more people will do what needs to be done. More people will benefit from your leadership quicker, and life will be predictable. Because a storm is coming, and if you can charge into it with a herd, well, that just means that we get to dance in the rain when it's all over and be together. Would you say when I'm gone away My lover came to me And we lay in rooms unfamiliar But until now oh, 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 Until now oh, 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 Until side